Hi everybody, this is Mark D, uh, IT guy, dad, and um, generally bad movie nerd. And I guess this is the first real episode of Mark's movie collection. So, and I, I hesitate to continue because it's, it's hard to state my selection process, but um, as of right now, I literally picked this movie because it was what was in my HD DVD player. This is an HD DVD player and a movie that I acquired uh, secondhand from a good friend of mine, Jose. Um, and this movie is, you may have heard of it, it has some mega stars in it, but uh, this movie is Top Gun. Top Gun. Where do I start with Top Gun? I guess I'll, I'll start out with my history with Top Gun, and that I don't really have one. Um, I know that it is, and I'm, I'm quadruply aware at this point, that it is the first prototype for toxic male masculinity. I think it came out before Scarface, um, but I may be wrong on that. If Scarface came out first, then this is the second prototype for... This is the... This is the lawful good chaotic masculinity, or lawful good toxic masculinity. It's like one rung below Scarface in terms of, of movies that douchebags and shit people like. But there is, this one has redeeming qualities. Scarface absolutely does not, and, and we'll get into that one day, I promise. Um, But I mean, Top Gun is just like this fucking you know, 4% body fat, amped up, rage fest. And it starts out really uh, different. And, and Tony Scott definitely has an interesting way of uh, putting a movie together in that through deep and critical analysis, it shouldn't make a lick of fucking sense, but it does. It does, and it starts out um, with uh, an aircraft carrier flight deck at, at sunrise, I would assume. And they're just launching planes, and they're switching shots, and there's 95 shots of what is potentially the same fucking plane launching and then coming back, you know, six minutes later to land. But the way it's put together and, and the way these individual uh, shots are filmed, which I'm sure that they are planned out because it's... Hard for me to believe that the Navy's just like, yeah, we'll just send a plane up. You do whatever you want. Like, I felt like there needed to be a plan for this. It lasts for like, it feels like 10 minutes. I I, I don't care anymore about the planes at this point. I, I don't. But it is what it is. Um, I do. I love planes, actually. Um, I love any feat of engineering, I should say. And air, air, air flight, powered flight is definitely one of them. Um... So I could watch this a lot, but at the same time, it's so nonsensical that I don't care. Then there's the whole, you know, make thing. And it's like, who cares? Yeah, you're, you're, you're slick, dude. You did, you inverted, got super close to it and took Polaroids. I get it. I mean, this is still during the Cold War and I think I was either watching something or saw something where they called the Cold War a conflict that lasted like a decade 
And I was like, no, motherfucker. It lasted almost 40 years. Uh, I don't think it was in this movie, but it was in, it was in something I was just watching. Anyway. Anyway, like the MIG thing, the photo, whatever, big deal. Showboating, he's a showboater. Um, but what he does do, what Maverick does do, is that he goes back to save his boy, Coyote, or I, I legitimately forgot his name. But he goes back and he brings him back in because Coyote got into it and was potentially about to die. And he couldn't deal with it. He got stressed out. This sets the stage that A, this is very stressful, and uh, B, not just anybody can do it. So Maverick brings his boy back against orders. Mind you, he is a Maverick, but a Maverick for good. He's a chaotic good. So I guess this, uh, this is a chaotic good uh, toxic masculinity. This could be the prototype for uh, Poe Dameron in Ryan Johnson's The Last Jedi, which I thought I felt was an interesting choice for the character, but I, I went with it and, and I saw where it went and I was okay with it. Most people aren't, um, but I was okay with it. I think most people that aren't watched a lot of Top Gun because that shit gets rewarded. Not all the time, but enough. And it's, it's fucking dumb. If you were a teenager, don't think that Top Gun is a good example. Even though he fucking went off the reservation, like, begrudgingly, they're like, you saved your boys, and that boy was top boy, and he left. So now you're top boy. So begrudgingly, I'm sending you to Top Gun School, and Danger Zone starts. And Danger Zone is a fucking anthem. Danger Zone is an anthem. You cannot not rock out to Danger Zone. There is an entire animated series that is solely composed of Danger Zone jokes. It rides on the back of Danger Zone jokes. Archer is literally built upon Kenny Loggins. So he goes to Miramar, California, which, unlike Miramar, Florida, actually looks at the ocean, apparently. And I'm assuming it's like the Air Force Base or Naval Base between San Diego and L.A. That would make a lot of sense to me. I did not look this up. I did not prepare in the slightest. Color me unprepared. Color me bad. He goes to uh, he goes to California. And Top Gun School, like every douchebag, is at Top Gun School. Every toxic asshole is at Top Gun School. But they're all like assholes together. And I, I went to an all-boys school, and it did not quite meet the stereotype. Everybody was really cool with each other, as far as I saw. And, I mean, maybe that was me, maybe it wasn't. But... In general, there was, like, nobody to show off to. So we all kind of just did, we were, we were kind of in this thing together. And we got through it. Um, I'm not going to say that I was a perfect teenager. I wasn't, not by a long shot. Uh, and I know a lot of those people were not as well. So I guess this is the equivalent. Top Gun School is a, a male high school, private high school. 
and it's that I don't need to say anything more. That is that is basically it. It is a a male high school, but I should, however, call out that Michael Ironsides is such a badass. Like he is super bad. He has soul, and he's super bad. I also don't know where the limiter is set on this thing. Feels like it's high. Okay, sorry, I had to fix a, um, how shall I say it, a uh, technical difficulty that um, should now be resolved, but this part of the episode may sound a little different. Uh, that is completely my mistake. Anyway, Michael Ironsides is completely a badass, and I think he sets, like, this is, is this his launching, is this his, his, his launching off point where he becomes a badass? He's just like hard ass, like mentor. He plays um, his call sign is Jester, and I think the joke there is that he never smiles and he never laughs. So call signs are kind of like a dick move, and if you shit yourself, you'll get like uh, heavy pants or something because you shot yourself. You don't pick your own call sign. Uh, others, other others give it to you. Your classmates or peers or whatever the case is. So, it's, um, it's telling, and I'm actually, I did not prep, but I will look up Michael Ironsides. He is totally worth it. I'm typing with one hand, because I'm actually hand-holding this microphone. Because I'm trying to be more casual. It's Michael Ironside. He has one singular side made of iron. But that's fine, because he's tremendous. So I'm going down his filmography, and bro, he works. Homie works. Jeez. Um, so his first acting credit was 77. And it was like crazy, like, stuff. Uh, I'm not reckoning. Oh, he was in Scanners. That's right. 1981 Scanners. I believe he was the bad guy. And, uh. That's just before um, Top Gun, a little bit before Top Gun. Yeah, so several years before Top Gun, but he worked in between then. But Scanners, yeah, I remember him in Scanners, and it was fucked up. So yeah, Michael Ironsides, fucking born badass. And I just wanted to call that out here because they fully establish it. They completely establish him as a badass. So, you know, Maverick and and Goose, they're like walking into a club or whatever, and Maverick's like, this is a target-rich environment, and he is just an insufferable douchebag. He is such a douche. I, they, they, they need to make you hate him like because you're gonna like him naturally but you need to hate him because he sucks then he needs to like redeem himself but um yeah and then goose drops this Iceman ex exposition like they call him Iceman because he's, he doesn't shake him whatever he'll just ride you until forever and blah whatever it was not good it was not graceful it was, it was bad um 
then they have this whole bet thing where they're like, I'm going to get laid like on premises and stuff like that. And it's, it's very gross. This is, um, this is a behavior that I find appropriate and I, I don't think I ever did. Um, but maybe I just didn't call it out. Uh, yeah, it's pretty gross. And the, you know, I just, I had to wonder like, Yes, it was a different time. This guy sings this love and feeling song or whatever, and a chick's like, I love this song. And I'm like, fucking what? It was clearly, clearly a different time back then. I get that. But how old are these motherfuckers? Are they in high school? Like, are they like 20? What? What is this? They are literal school children. They just went to competitive high school. And they're having to sort out like where they fit and and their their daddy issues and and all this BS like this it was this literally the inspiration for anime or was anime like this already? I I don't know. Um, I don't, and I'm I'm not gonna look that up. But I will say that this cheap trick song is a slapper. It is a banger. It is good as hell, and I want to do aerobics in a fight or something because it 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 puts me into a time where aerobics and fighting seemed appropriate i don't know if that makes sense to you but it makes complete sense to me right now you know so cheap trick killing it and then the kind of Go into this thing with the trainer and, and, and Jester and what the fuck is he even flying? It looked like an A-10 for a second. And I'm just like an A-10 is a, a literal like bus with guns on it. It is a, a slow and low just brat factory. It is literally a dispensary, a dispensary for depleted uranium. But uh, you know what? Hey, man, first time out, Maverick gets Jester. Jester's dead, baby. Jester's dead, but he broke the rules. But he broke the rules because Jester broke the rules because Jester was running. So there's a little bit of a, a he said, not a, not a he said, she said, but, um, you know, like this contest between him and Jester, like Jester had a call sign. He, he obviously went through Top Gun to get there. So he didn't want to lose either. And, and maybe that was pride more than anything. And I think Maverick recognized that because he sees it in himself and he's like, I'm going to fucking follow his ass. No, no, no one's going to die. So just fucking follow him. And, you know, then we hear the first time of the iconic uh, negative Ghost Rider. The pattern is full, which is super 80 yard and obnoxious. And the guy's like, well, I'm drinking my coffee. God damn it. Ah! As he buzzes a tower, he spills his coffee like, Kids are whacking off of my trailer. Like, it's really a cheesy um, character moment. It's almost exactly like uh, the sheriff in Live and Let Die, who's just racist and cheesy and just there as background potpourri. And I get it. I guess it's like the humor, right? Because there's not a whole lot of humor. There's like a couple sick burns and stuff like that with the movies otherwise decently serious so they needed to insert fucking elmer fudd traffic controller guy 
but yeah like the the movie is just like school it is literally school there is definitely an anime that is actual top gun and and maverick is just like you know Iceman's like you are you're dangerous buddy whose side are you on and yeah he, he he is dangerous he is that asshole maverick is is just being too maverick that's why they called him maverick and knowing what i know now that people receive their call signs based on how they were i'd be like that guy's name is maverick he's definitely not going to top gun like fuck that and then ironsides and 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 viper viper played by tom scarrett you know they're having the discussion and he's like if you had to go into battle would you want him with you and like i don't fucking know and no one does really ultimately because he's uh maybe a genius on the stick but he's also an idiot but uh goose is blatantly and utterly maverick's conscious maverick is just on this fucking weird death wish death sentence death wish to electric boogaloo thing where he's just like i need to fucking prove myself to everything that palm tree over there i can now fly you and then he goes and he just jumps around the palm tree or something and like i'll do a fucking flip and he falls and busts his ass that's the feeling that i get from maverick he just has to prove that he can live up to his dad and well i mean i guess if you put it that way like i can see that i guess but at the same time like you don't have to be so wrecked but i guess he's just tilted right um because we'll, we'll, we'll learn later that there's some circumstances there uh, but I'll just fucking get into that now. Uh, he doesn't really know what happened to his dad. His dad was a fighter pilot, and they just listed him as as missing in action. So, you know, we we find that out little by little, uh, which is maybe okay. You know, where you you take a a page out of Stephen King's book, but you write a different book. You write a Richard Bachman book, if you will. But um, and I'm sorry, I'm I'm pausing because I'm drinking water. Uh, because water's good, and I don't drink enough of it, and I should drink more. So I'm trying right now. So yeah, I mean, there's a line there that's like I can see it's dangerous for you, and I'm just like that's a bad line and then they cut right over to volleyball and it's just like why is tom cruise wearing jeans it's volleyball can you even uh, which he can i mean that mother he can he works out he works out so he can and the song there is something about like uh playing with the boys and it's like a dude singing and i'm just yeah yeah, I can see the um, the latent homoeroticism in the movie. I, I see what people are talking about. I don't think you have to look particularly hard or long at the movie. But, you know, right after they just jump into Berlin, he's like, oh my god, this chick that I picked up at the bar with, you lost that loving feeling. Oh, you're the the daughter of the whatever rank and you're also in the school so you're like a a naughty teacher that's just a tiny bit older than i am 
but definitely more um have more access and more privilege. And I get that too. But if this isn't male power fantasy, I don't I don't know what is. Um and Berlin, I mean Berlin, take my breath away. Berlin fucking kills it. Berlin is a great band. I don't think that they are recognized enough. I know that they are recognized. I know that if you know somebody that really is into the period and the style of music, they definitely know Berlin. Uh, there's Metro and Sex, which were wildly popular. But in general, you walk down the street and say, hey, have you heard Berlin? And you know somebody will say, like, tear down that wall. They won't, they won't understand that uh, Berlin itself is a band. But, like, you know, like, things are going good for him there for a minute, and then he becomes, like, this shitty, like, teenager. He, he devolves, if you will, de-ages, even though there's already, we've, we've established that this is high school. He goes, like, legit into high school at this point. And he's just like, oh, fuck. Oh, everything's bad. Oh, I'm going to be mad at everybody. You know, and and this girl who is the daughter. Oh, God, I need to know her name. So she's played by Kelly McGillis. I, I remember the actor's name because it was at the end of the movie. But I do not remember the character's name because that was established early on. Uh, her name is Charlie, which is awesome uh so i'm assuming charlie's but charlie awesome awesome name so charlie is like you know maverick like oh, i'm gonna ride off of my motorcycle my dick bag and she fucking runs him down in this james dean porsche which this james dean porsche is like a bajillion dollars now it is probably over a million dollars at this point but back then it was probably still expensive as shit and dangerous as fuck if you've ever seen one there is no safety equipment like i guess your teutonic heritage was supposed to protect you because there is no safety concerns whatsoever and that there's like bicycle tires on these things i would not trust one as far as i could throw one so she runs him down in the james dean porsche and he's like are you crazy oh my god you called me reckless you know, because she's kind of a hard-ass uh, to him because she's one of the instructors. And fucking, it's like this weird yin-yang kind of deal where you see that in her calculated and academic mind, she is a loose cannon. And you're seeing now that in Maverick, he has the capability of fucking being reasonable not being a complete douchebag at all times. And then they jump back into Berlin. Like, they, they were out of Berlin for a little while. Like, it was like, we're in love montage. And then, like, oh, my God, like, you kick my ass in school. I hate you. And then they're right back into Berlin. Because it's so good. It's so good. She's like, I can't let anybody know that I'm falling for you. I'm like, I guess. But, you know, so he's, he's flying sorties. He's still at school. He's literally a high schooler. Uh, except he's not, so that doesn't make it weird, but she's the teacher. And, uh, you know, they go back into the airplane stuff at school, and he's, like, doing whatever, but 
you know, Tony Scott, I think, really makes the best out of these shots about uh, out of this airplane action, right? It's not it's non-trivial to film airplanes like this. It's hugely expensive. It's difficult. They're probably flying a helicopter or another jet and having these planes just fucking shoot around them because they're just much faster. They're on the radio like, hey, can you come back around for one more? And, you know, it, it comes together in the edit. It really does. But I guess the director has to kind of see that through. And the practice is that there's dialogue that um is your establishing shot. There are no establishing shots. This is almost like watching Transformers solely in the air, where it's just, you know, inscrutable robot fights, like punching each other, and you don't know who's who. Um, and that that's legitimately what it feels like. And I'm looking for the editor. Uh, for this movie because this editor did not get enough credit. Uh, film editing by Chris Lebenson and Billy Weber. Right, not not quite Weber. Weber would have two Bs, so Billy Weber. And they really made this work, and then I'm sure they ADR'd that dialogue because they put it together and like, this makes zero fucking sense, and there are no establishing shots. Therefore, our dialogue will be establishing shots. And it works. It totally works. He sells it. He sells the, the jet fighting vibe. It's chaos. It's fast. It's like a Jason Bourne movie. People complain about the Jason Bourne shaking cam. They're like, you can't see what they're doing. But the whole point of the shaking cam and the cameraman jumping through the window and stuff like that is to put you in the fight. And I guess the better way would be to have inserted... Uh, people in between the, the two actors, but that would have been too crazy. But the whole point is to put you in the fight. It is chaos. It is too fast for you to understand what's going on, so on and so forth. Same thing with jets. Like Pilots, uh, especially of this caliber, are, are just better at processing visual information than we are. They are literally faster. I've had this discussion, and I think that no matter how much I study a game or whatever the case is, there are just people that process that information faster. The time that it takes for them to see something and react to it is much less than what it takes me. So, you know, it's one of those things. And they're already setting up great balls of fire for you, right? I think this is the second time now at this, in this point that they have. And Goose is just like, like, they, they get to the bar, and Goose is just, or the restaurant, I guess. And Tom Cruise's character, Pete, is there with Charlie, and Goose is there with his wife, who's played by Meg Ryan. Um, and Goose is the sweetest, like, meathead. He's on the piano, messing around with his kid and, and playing Great Balls of Fire. And the conversation gets a little too real for, for Tom Cruise's character. And he has to go over there and, like, be a kid with Goose, you know? It's it's a really sweet moment. And that really sets you up for, for what happens next, right? And that actually comes off with uh, Michael Ironsides. He has some voiceover, or I guess off-screen, or maybe just plain old narration, where he kind of gives you the score. 
He's like, it's a uh, sortie number thirty-eight. Week, tw- you know, two weeks left until graduation. It's everybody, anybody's race or whatever. Like he 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 sets up to you like when this is happening, uh, what the stakes are and why it matters, right? And and he's doing a great job at it. He's literally a badass. So they're they're flying, I guess, against like uh, two or three trainers, and. The F-14 looks a lot bigger than these trainers. It looks so huge and scary. I think that they were trying to project like a shark going after fish. Because in this in this one particularly is where I noticed it. There was a, a big establishing wide shot where the there's like three trainers and F-14s, the two F-14s coming after them. And they're so huge. It's almost like they were in front of them. And we just couldn't tell because long lens. But um, Maverick is trying to like play it safe. He's trying to be cooperative, right? Because Goose already chewed him out for last time. He's trying to be all right, and they're they're trying to do good, and they're trying to graduate. But maybe he's playing it too safe. I don't know. But he's uh he's Iceman's wingman, and Iceman's like uh, and Iceman's like being flaky, and he breaks off, and Maverick and Goose get into Iceman's jet wash, and jet wash is the expelled hot air from a jet engine and it messes up their plane real bad and they eject over over water but but goose dies goose's ejector seat hits the canopy and he dies and it's very sad because they have established goose as the sole person here that anyone should be rooting for at this moment in time everybody else is kind of a dick bag but goose is not goose is the only like real deal so it's a sad moment and and i mean what does it mean right i'm trying to understand what it means i'm like was he playing it too safe was he playing it not safe enough or is it just this is the job and this can happen i don't honestly know which one it is you can you can pick yourself but goose is dead you know, and now Maverick really knows what the stakes are. He should have. You know, maybe Maverick should have gone to see the sports psychologist that Metallica went to see. Some kind of monster, but he's really out of it after that. Like that, Goose's death, they've been together since flight school. It really affected him. And. He really has a hard time. There's a whole montage of him just fucking failing. And now it's a sports movie, not just a high school movie. And it's like just a less good Bull Durham, which also has Tim Robbins in it. Coincidentally, I haven't talked about Tim Robbins. They established Tim Robbins earlier. Tim Robbins is uh, Merlin. I don't know why they call him Merlin. That's a bad call name, call sign. But they call him that. But yeah, Bull Durham is just like a better... Top Gun, essentially, in that respect, and um, you know they're 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 playing this love love theme for uh, Pete and Charlie, and it sounds like it came out of Camel's nineteen eighty four album Stationary Traveler. I think it was nineteen eighty four. Was it nineteen eighty two? I would have messed that up. I just did a podcast on this. I should know. I'm not going to look it up. I'm going to keep going. 
And this love theme goes on for a long time. And then like, oh my God, and they have sex and all this stuff. And then, you know, Maverick is just kind of washed up and he's like, no, this isn't good. I quit. And they're like, no, come back. And then Charlie's like, oh no, he quit. What? You know, Wolfman calls Charlie and, you know, he's like, oh, Maverick just quit. You know, because he knows, right? He can tell that there's chemistry there, but he's not a dickbag about it. So I, I guess that's establishing that as toxic and male and masculine as uh, Top Gun School may be, they at least look out for each other or look out for each other's best interests. And, um, yeah, no, Maverick quits. He's like, I'm at the airplane. And she's like, you're going to miss it. But then he says, you know, like, oh, you took that job in Washington. And she's just like, fucking whatever guy. Bounces. But then we cut to Tom Cruise in a house. And there's a family running around. There's like a like 12-year-old kid running around. And we're like, whose fucking house is this that they have a 12-year-old? And lo and behold, it's Viper. Charlie's dad. And the leader of the Top Gun school. Who had already established that he flew with Maverick's dad. This is like a whole convoluted thing where everybody fucking knows everybody. And I'm pretty sure that Maverick is actually Luke Skywalker. Anyway. Midichlorians. Anyway. You know, he gives them like the sage wisdom and stuff like that. And he's like, look, what happened to your dad was we were in a huge mess of a dogfight. And he, he bit the dust. And then Maverick's like, what did they tell anybody? And he's like, oh, that's what they tell people when you're across the line or one of those things, which I guess is maybe whitewashing the fact that the Vietnam War itself was nowhere near glamorous. It was awful, and the United States did a bunch of bad shit in it. So there's that. I'm also not convinced that there was a lot of uh, air-to-air -air combat in Vietnam. I don't know that the... Northern Vietnam had, like, a lot of jets, per se. I, From what I understood, the F-4s, which they were like, oh, we're flying F-4s, really just, just bombed shit and were just scary. Like, here, have some napalm. But I'm probably wrong, and I'm sure someone will set me right on that. You know, but anyway, Tom Cruise kind of, kind of makes a comeback after that, like, after just fully understanding that his dad was a good guy. Um, and he was a lot like his dad, but his dad, you know, died doing the right thing. Not that he was lost, not that he messed up. None of that, right? He wasn't trying to outdo his dad at this point. He was just trying to, to be himself, uh, satisfied in how his dad was and how they could be, how he could be. But at this point though, Tony Scott is like kind of putting Tom Cruise's eyes in shadow so I don't know if maybe it's just how Tom Cruise's brow works. Maybe his eyes are a little more sunken in than others. But as a as a director, you have the pull to be like, okay, we're going to film this uh, coverage shot, this opposite, but we're going to move all these lights and make sure this dude has lights on his eyes. So I think he put Tom Cruise's eyes in shadow there on purpose, purposefully even, uh, to, to, you know, like he's in white and he's graduating Top Gun. And that's all good and stuff, but he still has this like inner demon of Goose's death. He has rid himself of the 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 monkey on his back that was his father's death, but he still has Goose's death. So he's not okay. 
right? And then they come up with a scenario. They're like, oh, going to the English Ocean, it's a, it's a crisis, you know. So Iceman goes, uh, Hollywood goes, you know, Maverick goes. A few people go, and they get sent out. And on the carrier, same old guy from the beginning is like, I hate you, Maverick. I'm gonna send you to Top Gun. Arr! That same guy who plays that character every time, and he does so wonderfully. He's like, oh, no, well, they've got uh, Exocet missiles on these MiGs that can hit and potentially destroy a ship. And this MacGuffin was a real thing. Um, Argentina had actually recently used them a couple years before against England in the Falkland War, which was, I mean, from what I understand, a bit of a joke. But at least they sank a ship with Exocet missiles launched from airplanes. So yeah, that's kind of the MacGuffin, and they're like, you gotta get out there, get out there, and 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 the blockade is not the word, but I mean, deter, and then if something happens, like their ass, so they get out there, and people are getting messed up, and Hollywood goes down, and Iceman's like out there five on one, which I think at that point you couldn't fool a radar to be five on one, but they just didn't want to tell Russia that. They're like, oh no, Russia, we have uh, only radar that detect um, huge meteors, right? If you fly planes close enough, it's one plane. So anyway, misinformation aside or disinformation, um, it's legitimately tense. Like, there's a lot at stake here because carriers could get blown up. People are getting splashed. Uh, I mean, planes are going down. They had to send out a rescue helicopter, which would be defenseless against jets, uh, MiGs. So, you know, they give you a shot of, of Tom Cruise's eyes in the cockpit, and he's flying with Merlin at this point. And his eyes, his eyes are ready. His eyes are ready, but the odds, they're stacked, stacked against them. So then there's this whole long dogfight sequence that is also another, like, fucked up Transformers movie edit where just, like, robot punch after robot punch, and you don't know shit about shit. I, I mean, I know enough about the basic shapes of the planes, but there's no way of establishing this in three-dimensional space, ultimately. Um, it happens too fast, and, and that's maybe more true to the situation itself. You know, they have a, a technical problem where they can't launch any more planes. And they're like, it'll be 10 minutes until we fix the steam catapult. And the dude that sent him out there is like, 10 minutes? Forget that. They'll be done in two. And by done, he means dead. But Tom Cruise, man, they, they, he, he brings it back. He, he doubts himself. And he's like, no, no, I got to go. And then he leaves. And then he comes back. And Iceman's like, ah, help me, help me, help me, help me. Instead of his normal Iceman self. He shows that vulnerability, not by choice, um, but he's less toxic and less masculine, still all male, that handsome slab of a man, and Maverick kind of pulls through, man, and he, he brings out all these lessons learned, like this one move that he did where it was like, oh, you fucked up or whatever, but then Charlie was like, that was brilliant, you know, I can't, just can't tell you that, I can't tell you things like that, because then people think that we're dating or whatever and we are and that's the problem 
So, you know, they, they kind of tie all that stuff up together. It's like um, a stand-up routine. They're, they're doing all the good callbacks. And, you know, once again, they're using dialogue to be your establishing shots. So there's a lot of yelling about random shit. Break right, break right. Everybody breaks right all the time. No one has ever broken left in this movie. No one has ever broken bad in this movie. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, um, you know, like at the end, the, she comes back to Miramar. He, he stays to be an instructor. He realizes that action, adventure, agenda, creates not these things. And eventually she comes back from Washington sometime later, even though her house is up for rent. So I guess she got another one. I guess they make money like that over there. Or maybe she was renting the house and she owned it because she was a smart real estate investor and it was a beachfront property. But, um, yeah, um, it's almost like, to sum up the movie, I guess the knee-jerk reaction would be like, it's a commercial for the armed forces. And I don't think that's wrong per se, but I think that's maybe leaving part of it out because it is also a male power fantasy, but it's also a journey of self-discovery. It's also a sports movie. It's also a high school movie, right? About getting over on your bullies and, you know, understanding your true worth outside of how you compare to these other situations. Right, like Maverick didn't even get the Top Gun, like toughest class. Like he lost that shit. Like he he's the guy that lost the 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 final game for state champion or whatever. Um, but she comes back, man. He's at a bar drinking and just like reviewing papers because that's what you do when you're an instructor. And Corn goes in the jukebox and it's uh, you've lost that love and feeling. And she's like, "Hey, I'm here to stay." And he's like, "All right." And that's the movie. So yeah, I guess I already summed up my, my closing arguments. But with all its problems, with all its issues, with all its um, interpretations, it was hard not to feel good at the end of this movie. It was hard not to root for Maverick, who overcame these odds. It was hard not to be like, America! especially in the time of the Cold War, in that context. So I think maybe that's also, a whole, and, you know, Tom Cruise is, is Tom Cruise. like He's, like, Cruise, almost, at this point. Like, he is so fucking cool. So it's one of those things where it's a, a confluence of time and space and muscles. And you can't help but feel okay at the end of this movie. Maybe not great. Right? They didn't... This shit does not pass the Bechdel test. Not for a hot second. But you feel okay. Right? You feel like the good guys won, or as good of the guys as you would have seen. Except for Goose. Goose straight died. And they don't really talk about his wife or his kid much. But they make it seem like Tom Cruise gets that happily ever after. And... If they ever make a Top Gun 2, it would be Goose's Kid, but um, Goose's Kid would be older than I am by probably like eight years. So he'd either be an instructor by now or stuck somewhere in middle management. Now it would be interesting if he was an instructor and he gets like a, a re-maverick 
or maybe a, a re-Ice Man who's just too much of a piece of shit. Because Ice Man is a bit of a dick and a bit of a bully. Maverick is never a bully. He can be cocky, but he's never a bully. Ice Man is a little bit of a bully, right? And that's I think where the difference lies. And I think that's why we like Maverick because Maverick is is loose and reckless, but he's never a bully. He's always trying to help, just in his own way, which sometimes is super deadly. So yeah, that's the movie. This has been the first, I guess, real episode of Mark's movie collection. And uh, it went on longer than I thought. But yeah, there's that. I mean, it was to talk about a whole movie. By myself, even. I don't even have anybody to bounce these ideas off of. I'm just going to assume that I'm right. And I'm okay with that for the moment. So yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for listening. Go ahead and uh, be kind, rewind, or pop yourself in a DVD, an HD DVD like I did today, or Blu-ray even, or VCD, or an SVCD, or Laserdisc. If you have Laserdisc version of Star Wars, that is the the version of Star Wars. That is the closest to theatrical you will get, except for the download of the theatrical scan, where Han totally shoots... First, Lucas, come on. Lucas, come on. Anyway, that's me. That's been my my history, my summary, my review, my view of Tony Scott's 1982 Top Gun. 84? God, I already forgot. I already forgot. Tony Scott's 1986 Top Gun. Third time's a charm. Thanks.